0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today, as it turns out, I'm not the only one with issues on how Marvel's movies and TV shows have appeared on Disney+. Plus. No, the Black Widow herself, Scarlett Johansson, has similar but significantly more pronounced issues with the appearances of her content on the platform. But before we can talk about that and the lawsuit that erupted out of it, we need to talk about the background for the release of her movie, Black Widow, this month. I've pulled up on your screen an article from Empire entitled, Black Widow sets July 2021 release date for cinemas and Disney+. Plus," And this was announced in March of this year, and it was announced by Disney as... Essentially, not what they wanted to do, at least by all appearances. The movie Black Widow was initially planned to release in May of last year. I then think it had a number of other release dates. Obviously, releasing anything in 2020 was a problem for realizing a return on investment for what was an expensive movie to make in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and so they've tried to get it out in multiple ways. Finally finishing up with releasing it both in cinemas and on Disney Plus in July, not for free. Disney Plus Premier Access, Disney's trying out a model where essentially you pay 30 extra dollars to have it unlocked on your Disney Plus subscription, but it does mean that you can watch it with as many people as you want. You could potentially password share, which is something that has been reported on as problematic uh, from Disney's perspective and from others' perspectives like Scarlett Johansson, and you can watch it as many times as you want. So when it gets released on July 9th of this month, it's actually a pretty big news story. Disney announces how big of a success it is on Hollywood Reporter here. Box office, Black Widow Spins record $80 million US opening, a record for the pandemic, earns $60 million more on Disney Plus Premier Access. The standalone superhero pick took in an estimated $218.8 million globally between ticket sales and Disney Plus Premier Access. It's unprecedented for a studio to announce streaming numbers on opening weekend. In fact, you might say Disney is treating that $60 million as part of its box office take on opening weekend. But we'll get back to that because week one, while it might've been a success story, week two was anything but. By the time you get to week two, you see theater owners blast Disney for making Black Widow available immediately on streaming. And why did they blast Disney? Well, because the numbers went way, way down. Marvel and Disney's Black Widow fell to number two in its second outing with $26.3 million for the July 16-18 weekend. The superhero pick suffered a steep 67% decline, one of the biggest drops ever for a Marvel title and the worst among the Marvel Cinematic Universe films released by Disney. Parenthetically, The Hollywood Reporter does note, however, that most event films during the pandemic era have likewise suffered huge drop-offs. So there's a question whether or not disney plus is directly contributing to a drop-off like that or more specifically how much it's contributing to a drop-off like that because in the pandemic with the risks associated with being out in public even now in the summer of 2021 with people rightly concerned about their health and well-being you do have folks that are prioritizing going and seeing the latest mcu movie but maybe then not going another time fewer folks wanting to leave the house to go to it at all Yes, certainly Disney Plus Access is going to eat into that somewhat. I think anybody that suggests it isn't is lying to you. But what level it affected the actual box office take is an open question. And Disney is left holding the bag either way. Disney didn't want to make not that much money on a movie like this, an MCU movie. However, that's in fact what they did. And it strikes me that they tried to figure out a way to make the most money they could. But... It wasn't necessarily the most box office money they could, which is how we arrive at Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over Black Widow Disney Plus release. And as initially reported around the internet, this was because there wasn't an acknowledgement of the exclusivity responsibility on the part of Disney with respect to only releasing the movie theatrically. In fact, when I originally tweeted about this, I said, really, they didn't amend their exclusivity provision? We had seen folks like Warner Brothers having to deal with this as movies came directly to HBO Max. Disney didn't address this directly. And as it turns out, it's actually significantly more complicated than that because the language used in the contract isn't quite as easy as some had reported upon. For instance, there appears to be no reference to the word exclusive. And we can only go on the complaint. Of course, we're in virtual equality. We're going to look at the legal complaint here. It's what we do. And we can only go on what the plaintiff here, Scarlett Johansson, or more specifically her entertainment company claims. But we can note what isn't referenced. There won't be a reference to the word exclusive. There will be references to things like email promises that present their own problems and industry acknowledgement of what this term that doesn't include the word exclusive means, meaning it means exclusive. According to the plaintiff, defendant will likely fight that. And we will see how Disney treats this particular complaint in a response that I think is pretty tone deaf and actually turns the public opinion even more against them if it wasn't already. But they bring up a legitimate point as well there because the plaintiffs in this action don't address the elephant in the room, which is of course pandemic. Let's talk about what is actually said here. So we've got the introduction. We've looked at a couple complaints here. There's a lawsuit brought in California. The introduction doesn't talk a lot about the specifics of the claim here, mostly talking up Scarlett Johansson's work. She's generated billions of dollars for Marvel Studios, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. In recognition of and reliance on this impressive track record, Marvel and it's actually a Marvel entity they put in footnote, but we can treat them as Marvel, and Ms. Johansson agreed that her compensation for starring in the latest motion picture edition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Black Widow, would be based largely on quote-unquote box office receipts generated by the picture. To maximize these receipts and thereby protect her financial interests, Ms. Johnson extracted a promise from Marvel that the release of the picture would be a theatrical release. Now, we're in the opening paragraph the complaint. If you've read one of these before, you're looking at that and saying, hmm, that sentence about a promise from Marvel, that doesn't talk about a contract term. It doesn't talk about a section in the contract. You don't see these quotes like you see with respect to box office. And when you start talking about extracting a promise separate from the agreement, well, you start to get into an issue potentially with whether or not an email can amend an agreement, whether or not it can alter what you signed up in the four corners of the document and oftentimes the answer to that is going to be no and so you're suggestive just reading that sentence of a fact that ooh your evidence for this claim isn't as strong as you would hope it would be if you're bringing this and you want to just win you want to just dominate disney you've got a sentence in there a section that says we will release it theatrically and only theatrically and then you you're going to win now probably it doesn't get to this level because disney understands you're going to win they're going to pay you some money Disney here clearly disagrees with this interpretation and so is willing to say, no, no, we're not going to give you any extra. The back-channel discussions that would have had to have happened before this gets filed were met with resistance from Disney, and so a lawsuit is filed. Ms. Johansson extracted a promise from Marvel that the release of the picture would be a quote-unquote theatrical release. As Ms. Johansson, Disney, Marvel, and most everyone else in Hollywood knows, a theatrical release is a release that is exclusive to movie theaters. Disney was well aware of this promise, but nonetheless directed Marvel to violate its pledge and instead released the picture on the Disney Plus streaming service the very same day it was released in movie theaters. You also see one aspect of this, which is, this is a breach of contract complaint. More specifically, it's kind of a breach of good faith and fair dealing, which we'll talk about as part of this video. It's also not, they're not suing the company that they entered into a contract with. So, Ms. Johansson here entered into a contract with a Marvel entity, and they're suing the parent. Why are they suing the parent? Well, for one reason, it's because the parent is the one where all the money lives. And when you make a lawsuit, you're going to sue the biggest pocket that you can find. So what this lawsuit ultimately comes down to is Marvel breached its agreement, but we don't want to sue Marvel. We want to sue Disney. And so they did sue Disney. Now, why they didn't sue Marvel at the same time? open question. Don't know the answer to that one, but they wanted to get to the biggest pocket. And so they essentially claim a tortious interference that Disney, the parent entity, caused its subsidiary to breach its agreement. So it was Disney that was responsible for that. They induced the breach and they caused it through their subsidiary. It's not a theory that doesn't work. It's just a theory that's aimed at the most resources they could find. But as you can already see, you've got issues because you're relying on an extraction of a promise The reasons for this were twofold. First, Disney wanted to lure the picture's audience away from movie theaters and towards its own streaming service. Second, Disney wanted to substantially devalue Miss Johansson's agreement and thereby enrich itself. In the months leading up to this lawsuit, Miss Johansson gave Disney and Marvel every opportunity to right their wrong and make good on Marvel's promise. And... Here's where you get maybe a little bit of overreach, because I think anybody that's lived in the world in the last 18 months or so can tell you there's a third reason. In fact, it's a third reason that does get mentioned in this lawsuit later on, and that's COVID-19. It's the pandemic that the articulation of this paragraph here rings false Because it doesn't appear to be the case that Disney was deliberately trying to screw over Ms. Johansson, at least as far as May 2020 goes. You can get into July and say Disney made a different call and then refused to treat with Ms. Johansson and and then make the case that Disney said, "Ah, well, we might as well seize this pile of money. But it's worth acknowledging, even in the plaintiff side of things, even on the complaint side, that yes, there were unusual circumstances that went around all of this. We'll actually see in this lawsuit that they claim that Disney was planning to do this the whole time, uh, to screw over their client. And that doesn't ring true as you continue on. In 2010, Ms. Johansson proved that she could also perform in an action-packed blockbuster when she appeared in Iron Man 2. So this is 11 years. Before this lawsuit, she went on to reprise the role of Black Widow in six more films. In 2019, Marvel Studios announced that Black Widow and Ms. Johansson would have their own film. Prior to this announcement, representatives from Marvel and Ms. Johansson had finalized a deal for her services in connection with the picture. That deal is set forth in an agreement dated as of May 9th, 2017 and a series of amendments there too. That gives you some kind of time frame for these kinds of deals as well, right? They entered into the agreement for Black Widow in 2017. It's announced in 2019, scheduled for release in 2020, ultimately releases in 2021, four years after this agreement was entered into. At issue in this lawsuit is the portion of this agreement that guaranteed her a share of box office receipts, meaning receipts from movie theater ticket sales. To protect her financial interests in these box office receipts, Ms. Johansson obtained from Marvel a valuable contractual promise that the release of the picture would be a, quote unquote, wide theatrical release. Both parties, as well as Disney, understood this meant that the picture would initially be released exclusively in movie theaters and that it would remain exclusively in movie theaters for a period of between 90 and 120 days, approximately. Now, these are industry terms of art. So the argument here is effectively that wide theatrical release even though it doesn't mention exclusivity, even though it doesn't mention a lot of these things, 90 to 120 days, all this other stuff is known in the industry. And there's a meeting of the minds between the two contracting parties about what we mean when we use that phrase. Now, contracts in any industry of any type are going to have phrases, are going to have things that could be interpreted in multiple ways, and a contract only exists, really under contract law, if there is that meeting of the minds. The court can step in and say, well, you never agreed really on what you were talking about here, so this contract doesn't exist or it has to be modified in this specific way. So what Disney appears to be arguing, and we don't have their documents, but we can kind of read between the lines as to what Scarlett Johansson and her representation are fighting against, is that wide theatrical release happened when Black Widow got released theatrically on a wide basis to a lot of theaters. And in addition to that, we did something extra because we paid for the making of Black Widow. When we talk about intellectual property, copyright, trademark, whatever, that's Disney's. And then it has a contractual obligation to its star here to do certain things. And then one of the questions becomes, okay, we did that thing. We released it theatrically. We made sure not to breach the letter of the law. Also, we did this thing and had premier access on Disney+. Plus. And the fight that Ms. Johansson in her representation is offering is that that is specifically a breach of the agreement, even though if we were just reading it and we don't work in Hollywood and we don't work in the industry and we're just looking at it, you say, well, Disney did hit the wide theatrical release. Disney also did something extra. And now we have to get into the weeds because the question becomes, okay, Once you know that your star, the other contracting party, is reliant upon selling movie theater tickets, what is your obligation to not undercut the sale of movie theater tickets? And that's where we get into a topic that we've talked about in virtual legality before, which is this notion of good faith and fair dealing. Every contract, no matter how well written, no matter how much you pay your lawyers, can have loopholes in it, will have loopholes in it, will have ways that you can read the obligations of either party. You say, ah, yes, I'm following the letter of the law, and then suddenly you're got that guy at the board game table that is completely violating either the RPG or the game that you're playing because you can see, oh, I don't have to do this thing or that thing, and you're ruining it for everybody else. So the law comes in and says, okay, we know words can only show certain things in respect of what rights and obligations exist, so... We are going to have an implied covenant, a promise of good faith and fair dealing on the part of contract parties. I pulled up, as I do in virtual legality, the jury instructions here for California that says, in every contract or agreement, there is an implied promise of good faith and fair dealing. That implied promise means that each party will not do anything to unfairly interfere with the right of any other party to receive the benefits of the contract. Good faith means honesty of purpose without any intention to mislead or to take unfair advantage of another. Generally speaking, it means being faithful to one's duty or obligation. However, the implied promise of good faith and fair dealing cannot create obligations that are inconsistent with the terms of the contract. So you're going to get into a fight. Disney says, look, you know how to ask for exclusivity. You know how the word exclusive works. You didn't do so in this particular aspect, which was apparently very important to you. Further, you know in 2017 when this agreement is signed up that streaming services are a thing, right? You've got articles about Netflix movies and whether or not that's going to hurt bottom lines and back ends. What's not to love? This is an article from The Hollywood Reporter from 2015. Says, asks one about the millions paid to Adam Sandler and Leonardo DiCaprio, but no back end means no mega payday. You won't get the next Frozen. Or perhaps more specifically for this particular issue, here we are in October of 2015 in a TechCrunch article that says Disney to launch a subscription streaming service in Europe hints that Marvel and Star Wars services could follow in the US. This is two years before you sign up that agreement to make Black Widow. And it's one sentence to say it's going to be theatrical exclusively and won't appear on your streaming services. This is the job of the lawyers. This is the job of the representation to say these things in your contract. And one thing that a court might look at as part of this argument is say, look, you're sophisticated parties. You've negotiated contracts. You were in six movies. You put that in your own complaint document. You know how to negotiate these things. If you wanted to make sure it was exclusive, you say it's exclusive. If you want to make sure it's not on streaming, you say don't put it on streaming. You have issues in the news that you know that Disney is circling around this issue. I've got it in 2015 here, might even be earlier. You know that you have to negotiate these things. That being said, Disney still looks like a bad actor here, right? If Disney knows it's paying money to Scarlett Johansson based on the box office ticket receipts and then does something says, well, you know, we understand it might cut into the box office and we'll see good evidence that they understood that just like everybody else did, then you should pay Scarlett Johansson something because otherwise you wind up in a lawsuit like this. You got a PR issue. Disney clearly doesn't care. Continuing with the complaint, in November 2019, approximately six months after the agreement was entered into, Disney launched Disney+. Plus. And they say agreement was entered into in 2019. It's actually dated 2017. Either way, the further in time it goes before signing that agreement, uh, the more of an issue you have with, hey, you should know that streaming is a thing. In light of the announcements, Ms. Johansson representative sought assurances that Marvel would hold up its end of the bargain with respect to the theatrical release of the picture guaranteed in her contract. In response, Marvel's chief counsel, their legal guy, confirmed to Ms. Johansson the following. We totally understand that Scarlett's willingness to do the film and her whole deal is based on the premise that the film would be widely theatrically released like our other pictures. We understand that should the plan change, we would need to discuss this with you and come to an understanding as the deal is based on a series of very large box office bonuses. And in fact, you like the parenthetical very large here. This is clearly the Marvel Council reminding them that this is for a lot of money that they plan to pay her, et cetera, et cetera. You know, emails. Fun. But they highlight her whole deal like our other pictures and deal is based on a series of box office bonuses. Now they've got a couple of problems here. The first is that they're still relying in general on the euphemisms of her whole deal like our other pictures. This deal is based on box office bonuses and things that don't actually describe the exclusivity that they would like to achieve as part of this lawsuit. The other is perhaps more problematic and that's in any given contract, and I have a lot of doubt that this wouldn't appear in the contract in question, there's going to be something that we typically call a merger clause. And it has nothing to do with mergers and acquisitions. It means that everything that we've talked about as part of our rights and obligations will appear in the four corners of this document. I have pulled up a sample from the internet and it says, this agreement constitutes the sole agreement of the parties here. too. All subsequent modifications shall be in writing and signed by the parties. So, You want to have a contract limited, not just to all the emails that were exchanged, all the conversations, but only to the words that have been agreed upon. And almost every contract is going to have a provision like that. So when you, in a lawsuit, have to rely on an email from chief counsel, who probably doesn't have the authority to amend the agreement, even if they wanted to, and say that this is part of why our case is strong, your honor or jury members, that's not going to be as strong as you would like it to be because... The parties have agreed that the agreement lives in the document and not in places like these emails. Continuing, in late March 2021, however, in direct violation of these promises and her agreement, Disney announced that the picture would be simultaneously released in theaters and on Disney Plus Premier Access. Now, the announcement itself probably wasn't a violation of the agreement, but the release might have been. On Information and Belief, this was the direct result of Disney directing Marvel to ignore Ms. Johansson's agreement and or overruling Marvel's wishes to comply with it. According to Disney's own self-congratulatory press releases, which we read, the picture grossed more than $60 million on Disney Plus Premier Access in its first weekend alone. But, as numerous publications noted, this strategy dramatically decreased box office revenue for the picture. Veteran distribution executives say it's clear that the availability of the movie on Disney Plus cannibalized box office, noting that an entire household might have gone to see the movie in the theater, but could instead pay just $30 to watch it together at home. Of course, this was Disney's plan all along. And here, I think the plaintiff actually goes too far. They're asserting that Disney knew this would all happen, that they deliberately put together Black Widow in order to sell Disney Plus subscriptions and don't give any credence. In fact, I don't think they give any reference to the fact that 2020 and 2021 were such unusual years, pandemic-fueled years, that made Disney's decision-making here very, very problematic across all of its movies. That... There were a lot of changes across whole slates of the industry and that Disney's plan all along is probably a little bit too strong and gives Disney the opportunity to put their own foot in their mouth with the response that we will see at the end of this video. In short, Disney chose to placate Wall Street investors and pad its bottom line rather than allow its subsidiary Marvel to comply with the agreement. Disney knew That the cannibalization of such receipts by Disney Plus would save Marvel and, by extension, Disney very large amounts of money that it would otherwise owe Ms. Johansson. And that, to me, is a funny kind of complaint because Disney doesn't want to make less money. The reason you have box office share is that it puts everybody in the same incentive based direction. Disney wants to make more money, Scarlett Johansson wants to make more money, and so you share some box office revenues. The more money it makes, the more money everybody makes. And this complaint, and we'll see it in a couple of other places, actually has to go so far as to assert that Disney is deliberately keeping the number down in order to hurt Scarlett Johansson, which I think strains credibility to a very significant degree. You get now, as part of the complaint itself, the factual basis for what we saw in the introduction, more references to the wide theatrical release. Another reference to the fact that the plaintiff is asserting that theatrical release means exclusive release. The agreement also grants Ms. Johansson the right to full and meaningful consultation and good faith with Marvel as to the initial release pattern of the picture which I think is important. It suggests that they were trying to get to a place where Scarlett Johansson had a say in how this movie was released. You'll also note, however, that this isn't a consent requirement. She can't veto some kind of distribution, and it doesn't actually get asserted in this document that she didn't receive full and meaningful consultation in good faith with Marvel. So outside of just those emails, you can imagine that there probably are conversations and that they don't, as plaintiffs, actually want to argue that Marvel didn't allow them a seat at the table, just that they think that what was ultimately decided was in breach of their contract. Ms. Johansson was to receive deferred compensation and bonuses directly tied to the amount of worldwide box office receipts for the picture. And then, of course, Disney Plus happens. In March of 2019, further to our conversation today, it is 100% our plan to do a typical wide release of Black Widow. However, its release was delayed several times during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think this might be the only reference to COVID-19 and the pandemic in this document. And as you've heard me say a few times before now, I think that's probably a mistake. I think everybody understands that the pandemic changed a lot of things for these companies and they would have been looking at their contracts to see what they were allowed to do and what they weren't allowed to do. And Disney looked at this and said, if we release it widely at the same time as Disney Plus, we think we're okay. Obviously, Ms. Johansson's team disagrees. On May 24th, 2021, so just a couple of months ago, Disney's Mr. Chappick openly admitted that the theatrical market was still fairly weak from the pandemic and predicted that the marketplace will recover more fully and that type of exclusive theatrical distribution will make more sense by the time other Disney movies such as Free Guy and Shang-Chi are released in August and September. He offered no explanation for why Black Widow, a guaranteed box office smash in a pre-pandemic world was still scheduled for an early July release. So they do reference the pandemic at least one more time. But here again, we see writ large, perhaps the logical problem with this complaint, which is that you're essentially asserting one of the more ruthless media companies in the world deliberately didn't make as much money as they could have. And there's a lot of things going on with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? You've got timing components that Disney has clearly struggled with. Black Widow was supposed to release in May, and then there was supposed to be this kind of parade of movies. That's how they all connect. That's how they all work together. And they have that issue that you have to get them out roughly in the same order that they were planned in. But to actually go out there to a court or to a jury and say that Disney could have made more money and they elected not to do so is... A problem, not the least of which, because the main evidence you present for it is that you've got the head of Disney saying the theatrical market is still fairly weak and Disney very easily being able to say, well, it is still fairly weak. Would you prefer for us to just release it and let it die out there or to try to get more eyeballs on it? And then that leaves open the $60 million, which we'll come back to when we start talking about potential rights and remedies at the end of this. On information and belief, the decision to do so was made at least in part because Disney saw the opportunity to promote its flagship subscription streaming service using the picture and Ms. Johansson, thereby attracting new paying monthly subscribers, retaining existing ones, and establishing Disney Plus as a must-have service in an increasingly competitive marketplace. And there's no question that Disney sees the advantages of potentially propping up its subscription service, but... 2021, just like 2020, although a little bit less so, is still a problem for releasing movies. That's why we see things like it's a record $80 million weekend rather than it's a record $357 million weekend from Endgame only a couple of years ago. But with Premier Access, there are no repeat ticket sales. Subscribers pay a one-time fee to view the picture as many times as they want. It is tantamount to handing each moviegoer a free DVD on their way out of the theater. And now we get to the cause of action. Intentional interference with contractual relations. Remember, this is a lawsuit against Disney, not against Marvel. So they have to do a little legal hoop jumping in order to arrive at why they can sue Disney. On information and belief, Disney intentionally and improperly induced Marvel to breach breach its agreement with plaintiff by releasing the film on Disney Plus simultaneously with its release in theaters. But for Disney's actions, Marvel would not have breached the agreement. So it's an intentional interference. They told their subsidiary... Breach that agreement. Now, obviously, as a conditional to winning this kind of complaint, you have to say that there was a breach and that's where the fight is really going to be. Does that phrase actually require exclusivity? Can Disney do more? Can Disney do more when they know it will have an effect on the ticket sales sold? All open questions that a court would have to answer. As set forth above, Marvel breached the agreement. And Disney intended to influence, direct, induce, or cause Marvel to commit the above-described breaches. So this is the inducing, and this is the intentional interference, as, as tort claims, effectively, rather than direct... Contract claims. And then what are we asking for? We're asking for monetary damages and punitive damages. How can we ask for punitive damages? Those are punishments, those are penalties. Well, because we are going to charge that Disney acted with malice, oppression, or fraud and in willful disregard of plaintiff's rights and interests. And in a contract case, if you believe that Disney was deliberately breaching it, it is fraud. It is a willful disregard of plaintiff's rights and interests. But as we've already shown in this particular complaint, it's not nearly as easy as some reported on. There isn't, or it doesn't appear to be the case, that there's an exclusivity provision directly written in the agreement. It's all based on terms of art. It's all based on what a wide theatrical release means, whether a wide theatrical release can be accompanied by something extra. And it's also premised upon ignoring the fact that the contract easily could have said, hey, this stuff you're talking about and continue to talk about, when we say it's releasing somewhere, it doesn't release on these platforms. Or if it does, we get some kind of split of that revenue, which is ultimately, I think, where you wind up with a case like this, right? We talked about the fact that Disney acknowledged their $60 million on Disney Plus when they gave the press release for opening weekend box office. So I think it's pretty easy to say at minimum, okay, well then, I'm not limited to my share of $80 million in tickets. I'm getting limited to $140 million in tickets for the US opening because this should count as box office. It was a day-and-day release. I should get a share of this money, just like I would have gotten a share if this was sold in movie tickets. And that's disregarding my other complaint, which is that. The $30 actually buys you more than a movie ticket would, which Disney would respond, well, $30 is more than the average movie ticket price, and you get into fights about that. But that seems to be the easiest answer here is, look, you sold $60 million in tickets, whether it was at home or whether it was theatrically. Those were home theaters. And so I should get that $60 million. I should get a portion of that as well, which leads us to Disney's response. Reported on in deadline here, Disney has some things to say. There is no merit whatsoever to this filing. The lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Disney has fully complied with Ms. Johansson's contract and furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date. So a couple of things happening here, none of which I think play terribly well for Disney. Disney wants to come out strong, say there's nothing in this lawsuit, wants to have it reported in places like Deadline. However, to any of us sitting here outside of Hollywood, looking at these stories as they happen, this is ridiculous. This is a contractual dispute. She doesn't ask for injunctions. She doesn't ask for apologies. She asks for punitive and real direct damages. She's asking for money. And Disney comes out and says, how dare you ignore the effects of the pandemic on the world? And it's like. Come on, Disney, that's insane. We're talking about money and whether or not you breached a contract for hundreds of millions of dollars between parties and you are saying that she has callous disregard. Well, you know, you could argue that if that's disregard, then you have disregard for putting the movie out in theaters when apparently that's still a significant issue for you as a corporation. Furthermore, they continue with this and try to put her on her back foot by saying, oh, and by the way, she's already made $20 million. So those of you in the public that might consider backing her, she's already rich beyond your wildest dreams. So you should just take your envy and not put it on their side, regardless of the fact that Disney is well more valuable than $20 million. She she made $20 million. What is she even asking for? So what if we owed her $50 million, potentially? She made $20 million, folks. And this is the kind of response that I think is just silly. And I think Disney did themselves a disservice. But it does show that Disney is intending to fight this pretty harshly. And it also shows... And this was evident, really, in what the fact pattern of this entire situation was—that Disney is in burn is in bridge burning mode with Scarlett Johansson, and that might be because Black Widow is dead in the MCU. Spoilers from a couple of years ago, but Black Widow is dead in the MCU, Scarlett Johansson doesn't have a clear place in the remainder of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and so there's little reason to continue playing this particular game. In economics terms, we would say if you have a repeating game, you have to be a little bit nicer, a little bit more trust-oriented, and in that very last game where you know you're never going to have to treat with one another again, then maybe some of the real personality comes out. And Disney says, hey, you know what? We don't think we need to pay you any portion of that $60 million or anything else. Uh, We widely released it. It didn't work out so well. Yes, we ate into that money a little bit, but you should have wrote your contract better. Scarlett Johansson says, screw you. Disney says, no, screw you. And you get into what amounts to a bitter divorce, or maybe at the end of the day, Black Widow eating a company that she used to love. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you like talking about business and law of popular culture, technology, video games, and of course, movies, please consider supporting the channel. We think we're having pretty unique discussions here. We've got a Patreon and other ways to support it in the description of the video, or Just subscribe, tell your friends we're here. Having these conversations, every little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.